So today we are looking at uh, Mark uh, chapter 20, 20, Mark chapter 15, verses 21 to 39. And um, in this text, we're looking at the, the crucifixion. And, and what we've been doing this entire summer is that we've been looking at the gospel of Mark. And the gospel of Mark is really the story of Jesus' life. And it's a- asking the question, who is Jesus and what does that mean for our life? And the entire first part of Mark is Jesus is the Christ. He is God's anointed king. So he is the king over all things. All authority is given to Jesus. And, but then he is also a king who is going to die upon the cross. And today we are looking at uh, the crucifixion of Jesus, Jesus Christ in Mark's gospel. And so um, this has been a text that I've been really looking forward to all, uh, all week long. And it's, a, it's also kind of funny. Um, just a personal aside, today's uh, the anniversary that I, I was ordained, so I've been pastor for six years. And in my entire six years of ministry as a pastor, I've never actually once preached on the crucifixion. I'm like, there's something kind of crazy about that. And so I'm, we're coming into this, like, so I'm, in, in some ways, I'm like coming into this text with really fresh eyes, and I've been really, uh, really just humbled by what, uh, what Jesus did for us in this on the cross. And so uh, let's, uh, let's just dive right into our text today. This is Mark chapter 15, verses 21 through 39. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. When the the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he was calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to, to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered, a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood, who stood facing him saw that in his way, in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for all the things that you have done for us. May you be at work now by your spirit. May your spirit help us to understand your word and that we would also, that your spirit would convict us and, and show us how to live in light of you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. 
So today we are looking at the crucifixion of Jesus. In other words, we're looking at Jesus' death. And the crucifixion is actually the touchstone moment of the Christian faith. It is the touchstone of Christian authenticity. In other words, it is the one thing that gives everything else in the Christian faith its meaning and significance. This is a crucial passage to understand, but it's, a, but it's also a crucial moment in our everyday lives. So let's just dive right, right into this. As we dive into this text, why, in the, why was Jesus crucified in the first place? And there's, there's, there's just very quickly just three reasons, and this is really to give us some bearing to really set the scene for us. There's three reasons why Jesus is being crucified. Uh, the first reason is that the Pharisees wanted the, the Romans to kill Jesus because the Pharisees, these religious leaders, did not want to lose their popularity. Because Jesus is, is, has been a very popular religious teacher, and he's, the crowds are following him, but they wanted Jesus to lose his following, and they, so the Pharisees wanted to gain a new popularity they wanted these followers of Jesus to come back to them. And we find this in Deuteronomy 21, that cursed is anyone who hangs upon a tree. On a, on a tree. And so the idea that the Pharisees are running with, they want Jesus to be crucified because they wanted that the entire Jesus movement, as it were, to be erased out of existence. So that is one motivation that the, the Pharisees have in crucifying Jesus. So the second motivation, the second reason why Jesus is crucified, it has to do with the Romans. Because the Romans are killing Jesus because Jesus was claiming to be a king. Pilate puts this sign over Jesus' head that says, this is the king of the Jews. And he puts it in three different languages. In other words, Pilate wants everyone to know why Jesus is being crucified. And it's because he is claiming to be a rival of Caesar. He's a rival to the Romans. And so Jesus is killed because he is a king. He is is God's anointed king. And he's now going to the cross. So that's the second reason. And the third reason, the third reason, and this is a spiritual reason, this has to do with you and me. Jesus is being crucified because we are sinners. As Paul puts it in Colossians 1.21, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And you, we are alienated from God. That is the third reason why Jesus goes to the cross. We are distant and separated and alienated from God. And so here's the big idea that I want us to really look at and unpack today. That Jesus is, in fact, abandoned by God. He is abandoned by God, and in his abandonment, in his forsakenness, he is reconciling us to God. In other words, Jesus is forsaken so that you would come home. And so as we look at this idea that Jesus is abandoned so that you would come home, I have three points to help us um, look at this big idea that Jesus is bringing us, bringing us home. The first point, and, the, and all three of these points begin with an A. So the first point um, is alienated. Uh, what's it mean to be alienated? Because this is not a word that we use that often. Uh, we use different words uh, to, to really get at the meaning of being alienated. But to be alienated means to lose a relationship. In some situations, to be alienated is actually a consequence of cliques and popularities. You have the cool kids, and then you have the uncool 
kids. You have those who are in a position of privilege, but then you have those who are marginalized by that privilege and people who are forgotten. And so in our world, alienation comes from people who have privilege, people who, who have access and popularity that others do not. Some people seem to be in and some people seem to be out. And so as we begin to think about this text, here's the, an important question to, to consider. Do you today feel alienated from God? Do you today feel alienated from God? Perhaps that does not describe you as you feel near and close to God right now. And that's fantastic. But every, the truth is, every single person, every single, especially every single Christian, at one point in their life has felt distant from God. If you feel distant from God right now, perhaps one reason, perhaps the reason is that you have actually come to see that distance as normal. And you have gotten used to it, and that, now that's okay. And so the simple thing is that we need to acknowledge that many of us here today, right now in this room, feel distant from God. That's a, that is a fact of our, our sinful life. And so like, as we think about that, we are alienated from God, and Scripture tells us why. Here's Ephesians 4.18, that apart from Christ, we are darkened in our understanding, alienated from the life of God. Biblically speaking, we are alienated from God due to our sin. We are disconnected. We are distant from God. And it's all because of our sin. We are sinners and rebels against God. And one theologian in the 16th century defines sin as being curved in on ourselves. And when we look at sin through that lens, what sin is is that where we are self-centered and self-absorbed. And when you think about our relationships, our our friendships, our family relationships, our, all sorts of different relationships, we can actually see that to be the case in many ways. That we are self-centered and self-absorbed, and that taints life. It twists life. Sin just simply twists life. Here's, a, here's an il illustration to get this. And perhaps the most significant theologian in the entire uh, history of the church was a North African man from Hippo, and his name is Augustine. He wrote a spiritual biography, and he gets into his upbringing. He talks about his life. He talks about his 20s, his 30s, his 40s, how he was a sex-crazed man, and he was caught up in a celebrity cult, and so then he uh, goes to hear this um, preacher, and he was convicted. And, but as he, began, as he came to know Jesus, he began to understand his life better. And he shares this one story from his life where he steals a pair. And he steals this pear, and he, he says, it's not, I didn't steal a pear because I was hungry. I didn't steal it because I needed it. I didn't even steal a pear because I wanted it. I stole a pear just to steal a pear. And he's pointing out that sin is irrational. He's pointing out that sin is stupid. And, and sin even alienates us from ourselves to the point that we actually don't know ourselves. Like, we don't understand our motivations. It's the point about sin that I'm making is that as sin makes, curves us in within ourselves, is that sin just pervades every aspect of our lives. And our fundamental problem in our life is that is sin, where we are alienated from God. And because we're alienated from God, the Creator, we're alienated from everything that He has made. Ourselves, one another, and everything in, in creation. It all stems from the fact that we are disconnected and separated 
from the God who made all things. We are strangers with God. And so in other words, if there's any hope of reconciliation, if there's any hope of becoming friends with God where we are no longer strangers, where we are no longer alienated from God, something drastic must happen. And this is a problem that we cannot solve on our own. This is not a problem that we can solve with any human capacity whatsoever. And so we see Jesus, God the Son, who, is, who enjoys loving communion with God the Father and God the Spirit. Here in this text, we see him abandoned by God because of our alienation. This is our second point, abandoned. See, Jesus is, is facing extreme suffering upon the cross. And by the time we get to this passage in, in Mark 15, verse 21, by the time that, of the events that Mark records for us, Jesus has actually gone through a lot already. In the garden, uh, well, even before, in the Last Supper, Jesus is betrayed um, by Judas, and Judas runs out. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is going through great emotional distress and sweating blood. And in the garden, uh, we see the result of Judas' betrayal as Jesus is arrested. He is abandoned by all the other, dis- uh, by all the other disciples, and he goes to the Jewish court, and he is physically beaten. And so Jesus is very weak at the beginning of our text. And we, we see this weakness because at the very beginning of our text, uh, the Romans grab Simon of Cyrene and make Jesus carry, and make Simon carry Jesus' cross. And like, I, perhaps you, at this point, you have a, 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 an idea of what this may look like. And like you'll, because you can look at pictures and you'll see like a, a lowercase t cross being carried up the road. But that's not really the, how this would work. Um, what, what, what I'm saying is that um, the Romans actually, uh, like, they're taking the criminals up to the place to be crucified. But how they would do that is there would already be a, a, a vertical piece of lumber in on the hill. And so there's a horizontal bar that they're, being, that they're carrying. But if you put b- both pieces of raw lumber together, it's like 300 pounds. And so, Jesus, so they're forcing Simon and Cyrene to carry this horizontal bar up to Golgotha where Jesus would be crucified. And as we find Jesus at Golgotha, yet he's physically weary, he's exhausted, he's been physically uh, whipped as well. And he is now being mocked. His clothes are gambled over. He is spat upon. And at 9 a.m., his hands are nailed to the cross. He's lifted up onto that vertical, uh, vertical uh, beam. And, he's, and he's, then his feet are nailed, nailed to the cross. And at this point, he's offered, and the text tells us, that he has offered wine mixed with myrrh. And this is an analgesic, something to help dull the pain. And Jesus refuses it. And so here we see Jesus being crucified at Golgotha, right outside of Jerusalem, which means place of a skull. And he is being crucified with two criminals. But like this, this proximity of where the specific geographic place where Jesus is being crucified is also important. It's, it's outside the northern entrance of Jerusalem. 
In other, like, it's a very prominent place. It's literally like 95 going through Philadelphia. And it's like seeing the billboards right there. Everyone driving through Philadelphia would see the billboards, essentially. It's the same thing here. Anyone who is traveling on this, uh, through the northern gate would see these criminals. They would wonder, like, what did they do? And they would look upon their heads and say, here is the king of the Jews. And in other words, look at that king. He's being crucified. He's being shamed. He's being humiliated. And that is the, that is the, the reason why Romans crucified people. Because Roman crucifixion is a public spectacle. It is meant to humiliate. It's meant to humiliate criminals. But it's also designed to maximize one's pain while ensuring that they would die a slow death. The religious leaders and the Romans both want Jesus to be humiliated. humiliated. They want him to be mocked. And so that, like we read some of the mocking that goes on. You could save others. But you could not save yourself. Above his head, this is the king of the Jews. Or you said you could rebuild the temple in three days. Come on down. Show us what you got. And perhaps even after um, Jesus' death, the centurion says, surely this man was the son of God. Perhaps that's a mockery. Perhaps that's not. It's, It's unclear, but perhaps it is. But everything that we have actually just looked at, just in summary, is actually a normal crucifixion. In one event, just one event, one crucifixion event, 6,000 people were crucified. And so, like, scholars estimate that tens of thousands of people were crucified. So the, the physical experience of, that Jesus had upon the cross is not extraordinary whatsoever. It's actually a very normal crucifixion. Yet at the same time, there's an element to Jesus' death that was unique. It's extraordinary. It truly is one of a kind. There, no one else will ever, ever have this dying experience that Jesus had upon the cross. And that is because uh, of something that, that Mark highlights. In all the other gospel accounts, we find various last words of Jesus. And you put them together, there's seven last words of Jesus. I thirst. Father, forgive them. I know not what they do. Today you will be with me in paradise. Mark doesn't include any of those three or some of the others. He highlights one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm Psalm 22. See, Jesus experienced greater suffering than on the cross. It's not just physical. It's actually spiritual. He spiritually suffered, and for a moment, he suffered the full wrath and judgment of God. He endured the wrath of God and judgment of God because of our alienation from him, God. He faced the full wrath of God because of our sin. Perhaps this is shocking to you. And the Apostle Paul even expects it to be shocking because he writes in 1 Corinthians, he says that he, the cross is a stumbling block. It is foolishness to some. Some consider the cross to actually be an argument against the Christian faith. And I want to think about that for a moment. Because here we have God the Son being punished by God the Father for something that the Son did not do. That's injustice. That is abuse. And so this idea actually functions like a defeater belief. 
It is an idea, a belief that defeats all other belief or faith in the Christian faith. And so I just want to actually counter that. And I want to counter that with a, um, something that Rachel, Rachel Denhollander said. And perhaps that name's familiar uh, to you. She came into the national spotlight a few uh, years ago. She was the first to speak against Larry Nasser uh, for sexual abuse in, in, um, in college sports and more. And, but Rachel is also an attorney. Um, not only is she, well, not only is she a victim of sexual abuse, she's a survivor and an advocate, but she's also an attorney, and she is an, also an amazing theologian. Last year, she presented a paper um, repudiating this idea that, uh, that the cross is, is an example of abuse. And this is what she wrote in this paper. The cross, not only, the cross only looks like abuse when Jesus is a passive object of the father's intention specifically the father's intention that the son should suffer and die on the cross as a substitute for sins however this cannot be the case if the father son and spirit share the same divine nature and will the incarnate son of god dies on the cross not because he was coerced into it but because that was the way that the that god father son and spirit chose to forgive sinners and uphold justice in other words, what Rachel is saying, in other words, Jesus gladly chose to endure the wrath of God because he loves you. Jesus chose to endure the wrath of God. He wasn't forced into it. He wasn't coerced into it. He is not a passive person whatsoever. Jesus is actually very active. This is something he entered into because he loves you. And at this moment, as he cries out these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Never before had anything come between the love and the communion that he enjoyed with the Father like this. But now the sin of the whole world is being placed upon his shoulders. Your sin is being placed upon Jesus in this moment. And now that sin has to be reckoned with. And so God pours out his wrath upon upon Jesus. And And he is facing the all the judgment that you and I deserve. That's what Jesus is going, is going through at this moment. That's why he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so sometimes we sing a song that includes the line, it was my sin that held him there. But let's be clear. We could even change that lyric to say it was his love that, led, that held him there until it was accomplished. Jesus gladly, joyfully endured the wrath of God for you because he loves you. That is the simple, simple, mind-blowing truth of this passage. But So even while we, th- we have thought about just like the, how some throw the idea that the cross is an example of abuse and that's scandalous, there's also an, a second scandal going on here that should be even more shocking to us. And it's the, the idea of that forgiveness, that forgiveness actually has a cost. Here's, here's an example that gets at this. Corrie ten Boom was a Dutch Christian. I believe she was Dutch. I might begin her ethnicity wrong. Uh, during um, the time of the Third Reich, and her family was hiding uh, Jews. And what 
the, the secret police came and, and took Corey and her family um, after once they were reported. And, and they, they were put in, and they were imprisoned during World War II. And during their time of imprisonment, um, they, they were treated very cruelty, cruelly. And, that, but, and they survived. By God's wonderful grace, they survived. And Corey especially survived. And so but they're released, and then later, a few years later, they're, 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 there's like some sort of reunion event. And Corey comes face to face with one of the guards. And the guard says, I've, I've become a Christian. Will you forgive me? The simple point, simple point that I'm making is that forgiveness is not easy. Forgiveness does have a cost. And Jesus has paid that cost. Jesus has paid it. And so, what is it that Jesus accomplished with this, his death upon the cross? What did Jesus accomplish by being abandoned by God? This is our third point. It's that we are adopted. I, I started the second point off by reading Colossians 1.21, which says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Colossians 1.22 says this, the very next verse. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh and death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. See, what Jesus does here upon the cross is that he reconciles you to God. We see this in our text in a, in a very colorful way. We jump and look at verse uh, 38. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to bottom, verse 38. And this helps. The, at this point, we need to know a little bit about the Old Testament and how the temple was designed. Because in how the Old Testament was designed, you would have like in the, 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 this one place called the Holy of Holies. Like then you had the holy place. And, like, and then there's another place. But the idea of the temple is that there's some places that are more sacred than others. And in the, holiest, in the holiest of holies, in that one place, only the high priest was allowed to go. And he, would, he was only allowed to go on very specific days, like only like once a year. I forget the specific number, but it's very rare. But he's only allowed to go. And if, when he would go into the Holy of Holies, there would be a certain, uh, he would have to cleanse and prepare himself according to the, the Old Testament law. And then the outside of the Holies of Holies was the, the holy place. And then outside that was the, uh, another court and so forth. And so the idea is that here's the Holies of Holies and that is the place where you can have access to God. That is the place where you can have communion with God. That is the place where you can know God. And that is the place where you get to go face to face with God. And so here, what we see in Mark 15 verse 38 is that the curtain separating the holy place from the holies of holies is that that curtain is ripped. But like I love the imagery that is being used here. We're told that it's ripped from top to bottom. I just take a piece of paper rip it like that. It's like God himself is actually up there ripping the curtain in two. That's beautiful. And it's, that is because Jesus died upon the cross. Jesus is, is abandoned. He is forsaken. And because of that, we are adopted. No longer are we enemies of God. No longer are we children of wrath. We are now his sons and daughters. We are his adopted children. Because he died upon the cross, we have a family. Jesus, Jesus was cursed so that you would be blessed. Jesus was forsaken so that you would have belonging. And one theologian unpacked Jesus being cursed for us like this. And this is a little, rather lengthy, but it's 
Yeah, I think it's worth it. He, he writes that when God becomes man in Jesus of Nazareth, he not only enters into the finitude of man, but in his death on the cross also enters into the situation of man's God-forsakenness. In Jesus, he does not die the natural death of a finite being, but the violent death of the criminal on the cross, the death of complete abandonment by God. The suffering in the passion of, of Jesus is abandonment, rejection by God his Father. God does not become a religion so that man participates in him by corresponding religious thoughts or feelings. God does not become a law so that man participates in him through obedience to a law. God does not become an ideal so that man achieves community with him through constant striving. None of these things. He humbles himself and takes upon himself the eternal death of the godless and the God-forsaken so that all the godless and the God-forsaken can experience communion with him. I, I like that last line, so that all the godless and God-forsaken can experience communion with him. Friends, that's us. We are the ones who are alienated from God. Yet in Christ, and because of what Jesus has done, Jesus actually brings us home. Because Jesus ex experienced the curse of God, we're able to experience the blessing of God. Because he ex Jesus experienced the wrath of God, we can experience the love and mercy and grace and peace of God. So how can we experience this communion? Oftentimes, it's easy for church people to use language like devotions. And language is uh, simply a word that, uh, that really describes when um, Christians will read their Bible, pray, uh, journal, um, have, have really just a time of their day carved out explicitly for them and God. And it's a great discipline. It's a fantastic, and I encourage it to you. And it's easy to approach that type of idea and spiritual practices with a checklist mentality. Hey, I read my Bible. Check. Oh, I prayed today. Check. But when we approach the, our spiritual practices with a checklist mentality, that we actually are, we, we, we end up feeling more and more alienated from God because we're missing something very vital. We're missing the fact that we actually have a re relationship with God secured for us through Jesus Christ. If we want to experience communion and relationship with God, the very first thing that we need to do is worship. So while the, the centurion's words possibly could be a mockery, the, the thing is, the centurion is absolutely right. This is the Son of God. This is the Son of God who was crucified for us. This is the Son of God who was forsaken and abandoned for us. This is the Son of God who died so that we would live. And so when we approach God through worship, when we praise his name, when we adore his name, we will see God making us more like him and, re and rejoicing in those moments. We'll see God using those moments of scripture reading and prayer to make us more like him. It's all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. He was cursed so that you would be blessed. He was forsaken so that you would come home. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your